Hey, Travis. Yeah. Did you hear about Detective Baby Yoda? Detective Baby Yoda? Detective Baby Yoda was told to investigate a gruesome bird murder. Mm -hmm. It was a bad murder scene. Feathers everywhere. Baby Yoda wanted to see how old the victim was, so he checked the bird's ID. Just as I suspected, <laughs> Baby Yoda said, Millennial Falcon. <laughs> uh, not bad, yeah. Is it the Falcon or is it the Falcon? Because I think Han always says the Falcon. Yes. Well, that's that's another... Ooh, we got to put a pin in that. That's another podcast episode. Yes, more content for the people. Welcome to episode, what is this, eight? Eight. Eight. Travis, we were going to do two, or excuse me, one every two weeks. We've done eight in a month. <laughs> well, we're making up for lost time. There are 40 years of content we're catching up on. That is true. I, I am liking that we keep finding new topics. Disney Plus executives, if you're listening, please put out more uh, shows and everything else, so we have more more to talk about. <laughs> Two episodes ago, guys, we had the Mandalorian series review with many more of those great Baby Yoda jokes. Mm -hmm. And our previous episode to this one was all about plot point number one, the Holdo Maneuver. Yes. We talked about half an hour on the Holdo Maneuver. If you don't know what the Holdo Maneuver is... Welcome to the Star Wars podcast, and you can go back and listen to that where we tell you all about it. Mm -hmm. But now, Travis, as the title of this podcast episode says, we are going to talk about the Clone Wars. Oh, I'm so excited. I have a wait for this episode. Nice. Well, as an average fan... And let mm -hmm. me introduce ourselves since I haven't done that yet. You are Travis Heiner, a.k.a. Sabokin. I am Stefan Arnold. I am the average fan. You are the super fan. Excited for season seven of The Clone Wars, Travis. Very, very excited. February 17th, 2020 on Disney+. Plus. Mm -hmm. Let's get into it, Travis. That was the reason why I got Disney+, Plus was for the seventh season. Yes, I was going to say Mandalorian series, but that's fine as well. Travis, for 90 seconds, tell us small The Clone Wars and then the big The Clone Wars. Yeah, so Lucasfilm and Cartoon Network got together and they asked Gendy Tartakovsky, I hope I'm saying his name correctly. He's the creator of Dexter's Lab and Samurai Jack. And so they asked him to produce this micro-series, these three-minute episodes that would air uh, on a consistent night. And basically these episodes would fill in the story of the Clone Wars. As we see at the end of Attack of the Clones, that's the beginning of the Clone Wars. But then episode three, Revenge of the Sith, it picks up at the end of the Clone Wars. So there's all this story of the three years the Clone Wars took place. And yeah. what was it like to see the Jedi command the clones and the clone special forces, that kind of thing. The show is completely stylized and really absurd and lots and lots of fun. It has the best version of General Grievous, and his intro is really well done. 
And then other highlights is it's the introduction of Asaz Ventress, who's a character who they carried over into the 3D animated series, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, another really fun story arc is the ARC troopers, the ARC troopers, the clone troopers achieving their battle objectives. And then another really big highlight is they show the Battle of Coruscant and the kidnapping of Palpatine. Um, cool little scene there where you find out why General Grievous coughs the way he does. Speaking of Grievous, if you're paying attention early in the season, when you first see Asajj Ventress, she's in this battle arena, you catch a possible glimpse of General Grievous before he had his cybernetic transformation. Um, there's a character who she fights in there who looks an awful lot like the species that General Grievous was before he had his transformation. So I'm not saying it is Grievous, but it definitely looks like it was one of his species. Right. The series ran from 2003, I think, to 2005. Uh, the first two seasons were, again, were three minutes long. But when they renewed for the third season, I think those episodes, there wasn't as many. And I think they were a little bit longer than 10 minutes. I felt like they were they were extended episodes. Gotcha. But if you stitched all the episodes together, I think they kind of they kind of encompass a, a two-hour movie. And they, they really do flow into one another. Now, the show doesn't appear to be canon, um, because when the Clone Wars was redone as a 3D animation series that ran for five seasons, I think they just kind of jettisoned that two-dimensional earlier version, although some of those elements were borrowed and, and reinterpreted in the 3D animated show. Or maybe you can say it is canon. It's like the fantastic tales of the Clone Wars told by broom girls and broom boys across the galaxy. <laughs> it's definitely worth hunting it down to watch. If you're a Star Wars fan, absolutely. I mean, I think you can catch the whole thing on YouTube right now. And that's the series again from 2003 to 2005, which... We're not going to talk much more about because we go to the actual The Clone Wars. What's that about? Yeah, so fast forward to 2008 and Lucasfilm produced a 3D animated film called The Clone Wars. Dave Filoni directed it. Uh, at the time, he was known for, I think, Nickelodeon's uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, I think was his show at that time. Anyway, he worked extensively with George Lucas in sort of fleshing out this entire story between the events that, that end at Attack of the Clones and the events that lead up to Revenge of the Sith. So this is really an exploration of the Clone Wars. So after the feature film came out, two months later, they began airing season one, and it ran for five seasons. And we're talking you know, your average TV shows, 20, 22 minutes long. Uh, there was 22 episodes, I believe, in the first season. I have to look it up. But it ran for five seasons, and then Disney purchased Lucasfilm and canceled the show. It left on a really somber note. It felt like a conclusion to the series in a lot of ways, especially, um, and we'll get into this a little deeper later, pertaining to one of the main characters in the show. But it, it was definitely a, wow, what happened in between the end of the show and the events that led to Revenge of the Sith? So the series ended up eventually on Netflix, those five seasons. And then, because of the deal with Netflix, they released episodes that had been unfinished that were intended for season six and season seven. And they were called The Lost Missions, I believe. There was some story arcs in there, like four episode story arcs that had completely finished. They were fully animated, fully voiced. But then they also released some episodes that weren't animated. It was almost like watching um, the storyboards, or I guess they refer to them as animatics. I mean, they're still animated, but the mouths aren't moving. They don't look like they've been rendered very well. But it was compelling to watch because these were episodes we would have seen had the show continued. So it was bittersweet, but it was definitely something to keep us going. And the fans that wound up loving the Clone Wars, and I count myself as one of them, a very strong voice in the Star Wars community. I mean, when aren't Star Wars fans a strong voice in the Star Wars community? But particularly, I think they were really hoping to get a movie conclusion. Like, hey, could you produce a movie with Dave Filoni, with the same style, with the same actors, 
and kind of bridge that gap between where the show left off and include some of those Lost Mission episodes and then give us like a feature film, maybe direct a video or something like that. Star Wars fans are a powerful group of people pulling the Clone Wars back from the dead, getting it put on Netflix uh, as part of a deal to air the movies as well. And then after that, Travis... Yes, so with the direct-to-consumer service Disney+, Plus, Disney was looking for original Star Wars content to help rope in subscribers. Of course, The Mandalorian was a, a huge draw for those Star Wars fans. During uh, San Diego Comic-Con, Dave Filoni had done a 10-year anniversary panel. They had a, a great conversation and showing lots of footage about what could have been. And then he, he dropped a trailer. He said, we want to give this to the fans. You guys have been supportive for us. This is for you. And he played the, the trailer and then... Halfway through the trailer, it, it shows in that classic font a long time ago, Galaxy Far, Far Away. But this time it said, um, a war left unfinished. And then it says, until now. And then they show all new footage. And then after the trailer was done, it was announced that hashtag Clone Wars saved. And Dave Filoni announced it. Disney said, we're going to let you complete it. And so now we're back. Yeah, so that is the Clone Wars TV series for the really uninitiated Talk about the Clone Wars itself in the Star Wars universe and what was that. And then we'll get into specifics about the show itself. You're referring to Clone Wars as it's been like in canon in the story, the whole overarching Skywalker saga? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so as it turns out, the Clone Wars was a, a war between the Republic and a separatist movement uh, basically a civil war. There was a bunch of systems that decided they no longer wanted to be a part of the Republic because they felt the Republic was uh, corrupt. Of course, the Jedi serve the Republic, and so they were sent out to keep the peace. Um, the Separatists had aligned themselves with the Trade Federation, who had a mass robot army, um, and then were going into heavy production to keep upping those numbers. And so basically through some very shady uh, circumstances that are revealed at first in Attack of the Clones and then definitely fleshed out more in the Clone Wars cartoon series. We find out that somehow the Republic has come into the possession of this grand clone army to help combat the Separatist droid army. And then the Jedi are put in place as generals to command those these clones as they go out and, and confront the Confederacy of uh, independent systems. Gotcha. So the Clone Wars... The animated series, six seasons, 121 episodes, mm -hmm. 44 hours of content. 44? Yeah, 22 minutes. Dang. So you can binge that. That's easy. Yeah, I could binge that. <laughs> yeah, we definitely uh, put in place that we were talking about this about a week ago. So sure, I, I'm going to make that happen. But anyway, <laughs> 44 hours of content. Was it worth it to have that explanation and all that information for what is almost exclusively the area of between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. Well, I'm going to say absolutely. But it isn't that it starts off perfect. Uh, you know, it starts off slow thematically. It's kind of dysfunctional. Animation style took some getting used yep. to. It was sort of a weird mash of the, the two-dimensional... Um, earlier Clone Wars, the miniseries they had, and sort of a anime type style. But as the series, it is a very unique yes uh, look. If if you see uh, pictures from the Clone Wars uh, in these six seasons, you you know where that's from. It's a very very unique look. Mm -hmm. 
And but there were so many advances during those five years of the first five seasons. I mean, you can definitely see some stark improvements of for where they started in season one and where they got to in season five when it finally when it last aired. I would think as far as storytelling, it's possibly a, a too hard of a tonal mix between cute and funny and sinister and heavy. Um, that's kind of my same complaint with uh, The Phantom Menace. But that's not to dissuade you from seeing it. Um, it's just that there are some whimsical elements such as Jabba's son and Jar Jar and 3PO and even R2 sometimes that just kind of, I don't know, it's, it's, it's an odd mix at first. That first season's a little rough to, to get through. But then after you have that commitment, the drama of the series yeah. takes off. And before you know it, you realize, you're oh my God, I'm really invested in this. And it's, it's really hard to shake. You just keep watching over and over again. Yeah, I've, I've seen the, uh, the movie. And as I said, I haven't seen uh, all the episodes, but I, I just uh, watched the movie. And it was a little, you know, a little bit too kiddish for me. And maybe that's to be expected as being part of a animated series. Um, with Jabba the Hutt's son there. Mm-hmm. But that was a really interesting part to see on the movie where they actually had Jabba the Hutt be more of a character than he was for half an hour in Return of the Jedi. So, uh, that so was multiply that by 100. No, multiply that by 100 because that's yeah. what this series does for pretty much all of Star Wars as far as the prequels and the old trilogy are concerned. The stories coalesce into this grand Star Wars tapestry. George Lucas spoke extensively about um, Star Wars and specifically The Force with the show's director, Dave Filoni. I, I think it's felt throughout the fans that Filoni carries the torch now for pretty much all of Star Wars. Him and John Favreau are responsible for The Mandalorian. Filoni was behind uh, Rebels as well. And there are plenty other players guiding the continuation of Star Wars, but when it comes to storycraft and this fundamental understanding of how and why Star Wars works, Filoni is that person, and this is yeah. his show. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. So it was worth it. it. It really added to the Star Wars universe for you. Mm-hmm. All right, let me ask you. If I could just add really quick, I mean, clearly the series <laughs> isn't without its flaws. Um, it creates some problems with how it fits between the two movies. Particularly, it becomes obvious early on that the writers have to keep Anakin from meeting General Grievous. If you remember in Revenge of the Sith, when Anakin is confronted with Grievous right at, towards the beginning of that movie, uh, Grievous and Anakin, they, they speak to each other like they'd never seen each other before, like this was the first time they're meeting. And also the the specific dialogue exchange between General Grievous and Kenobi during their fight in uh, Revenge of the Sith, that final fight, the things that Grievous says to Kenobi right before they start fighting um, makes that situation seem as though this is their long-awaited first battle. But in the series, Grievous and Kenobi face off several times. No, not really a deal breaker, but it makes the movie dialogue even more clunky than it already is. Similarly, Anakin's exchange with Count Dooku at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith suggests that Anakin and Dooku haven't faced off since their fight at the end of Attack of the Clones, where Dooku cuts through his arm. Um, But they fight many times during the cartoon series. And since we already know that Dooku's end happens in Revenge of the Sith, when he fights Anakin and Kenobi during the TV show... um, we know it's going to be a stalemate regardless, right? Yeah. yeah their prolonged saber fights carry no tension. Um, and you know, I, as much as I hate to say it, they kind of come across as a bit of a waste of time. But there's so much more great content to the series. I It's easy to kind of overlook those things. But just be aware that when you're going through this, especially if you're binge watching it, there will be those moments where it, it, it becomes a little disconnected in order to tell a more compelling story within the contained TV show. But when compared, of course, to the the bigger scope of all the Star Wars content, it, it sometimes feel a little out of place. All right, let me ask you the tough questions. Your top 
three characters from the whole show, six, six seasons so far, <laughs> starting with number three. Uh, that's not hard at all. What are you talking about? This is easy. I love this show. So it's, it's, <laughs> number three starts with Anakin. If your complaint about the prequels is that Anakin never comes across as a hero, um, a hero at least we can identify with, leading us to feel that true tragedy of his fall to the dark side and becoming Darth Vader, the show goes a long way in making Anakin seem like somebody we can root for. Regardless of knowing he eventually kills younglings, it really turns him into that hero. He kind of represents the heroicism of what it means to be a Jedi. He also carries a little bit of the cynicism about sort of that dogmatic approach of what the Jedi are like, very similar to what Luke had, had complained about during The Last Jedi. Um, that is Anakin's story, and so it's really easy to identify with him as soon as you're like, okay, yeah, this he, he was on the, the correct path. This guy had it, and he knew what was going on. Young, sure, but... He's not played as the same character he is in the movies. He's very, very likable. And Matt Latner, he, he's the actor who plays the voice. Uh, I hate saying this. I actually don't have much of a problem with Hayden Christensen. Um, I do think that, yes, the direction he was given during his movie entry as Anakin Skywalker was severely lacking. And it's too bad we couldn't have had a different director to kind of guide him with that character work. Yeah. Because I've seen him in other projects, and he's, he's totally fine. But there's a part of me who just kind of wishes that I could hire Matt Latner and and get him to overdub all the lines from Revenge of the Sith so it's his voice over Caden Christensen's <laughs> physical work so hey that sounds like a great kickstarter idea buddy yeah right let's, or go go fund me let's let's make that happen all right Anakin Skywalker learning a lot more about him because um even though the first three movies involve him a lot it's it's good to know more of his journey because there's only so much you can cover in four hours of uh, of movie time, which the mm-hmm. prequels have. I would argue it's the part of the story you really wanted to see. I mean, maybe... Okay, there's two parts of the Anakin-Vader story that I think that uh, fans are hungry for. It's who he was as a hero in as the Jedi during the Clone Wars, and that's what this series covers because the movies don't. And, of course, who was Vader in that time bef- between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. Right. You know, we got a tease of that in, in Rogue One. That just a, a just a small taste of it, and like, why we want to see that fleshed out. And the comic books do that, but again, I, I really like that Star Wars is a as a visual medium um, in cinematic form. And even though comic, comic books have come a long way with their art direction, their style, and their storytelling, I, I still think that like a Vader TV series, which I think there was actually rumors quite a while back that Lucas was thinking about developing a Vader TV series that would cover that time span between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. But we can only hope. We, we can only have a uh, new hope for that. But um, bum <laughs> Well. Still live, correct me if I'm wrong, they're doing a uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi um, live-action show on mm-hmm. Disney+, Plus, right? Yeah, miniseries. It covers that same time period I'm talking about, between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. I'd love to see, and I was thinking this, of just learning about more about the exact timeline for all these little, you know, quote-unquote minor events or, or, or things like that. And it's all very, very linear. I'd love to see more stories around what we know like tell me what other you know people across the galaxy were doing just before the new hope or during the new hope as our you know our known heroes were doing their thing i'd love to see like well off in this corner of the world the rebels were doing this or the the resistance was this 
So well, I, yeah, I got to tell you that that series Rebels is exactly what you're asking for. Yeah, I want to see it in a movie, Travis. I, I think it's actually better served as a series. It gives you a chance to have this Deeper. this good, consistent slow burn until it gets to those moments where like, oh, that it's just. I don't want to drop some language that's going to cause me to bleep this all out, but it is it is impactful, it's epic, and it, is, it feels like true Star Wars. Definitely fits in there. Sounds good. Well, I will look forward to watching all of the Rebels since how many seasons do they have of that? Is it just started? Only, only four. Only, only four. four, and that was it. And they were already done. Gotcha. So I, I'm definitely going to check that out um, a little bit closer to uh, my favorite uh, timeline uh, of the movies and New Hope and Empire and all that. But let's get back to the Clone Wars, your number two favorite character of the Clone Wars. This was a little hard, harder for me to, to to come to decide on. Sorry. Anakin was always number three, but there's a lot of great characters and character development that goes on in a, a prolonged series. You know, again, five seasons plus that sixth season. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really does boil down to Asajj Ventress for me. She's a mirror of my number one character. Right. Except she's a dark she's the dark side package of that. And although far more screen time is given to my number one pick, the moments we get with Ventress capitalize on what we've already seen with my number one pick. I'm just gonna say who it is. It's Ahsoka. I mean, it's you gotta know by now, right? I the think big most surprise, people know by now, yes. Yeah. You see her in the first couple of seasons as just like this villain. She's just the bad guy. She's the assassin. And then she's there's this the, moment. Uh, she's the Apprentice to Count Dooku. Well, you got to watch the show. Okay. <laughs> you got to watch the show. Yeah. I mean, you got to watch the show. That question comes in very big, and her story takes a big turn because of the answer that is produced by that. Gotcha. Um, and it, of course, it involves Darth Sidious. So her story turns, and then she becomes this very deep character. I mean, she's like the dark version of Ahsoka. And I, I, in so many great ways. I mean, she, she joins the bounty hunter leagues. She's like a precursor to the Mandalorian. In a lot of ways, she's just out making money. She's learning to survive. Um, and her story arc takes a very, very cool turn. And in a way it's a shame because, you know, her story ends in a totally different medium. It's in a book, um, called dark disciple. And the book is actually derived from the four part story arc written for the cartoon series before it got canceled. So it, it actually basically is in a novelization five. of that. A season six. Gotcha. Yeah, season six. Yeah, so her story was going to come to its conclusion in season six. Um, spoiler alert. So, again, they got canceled, so they never developed that season six story arc. And maybe maybe it was actually shelved and, and ready for season seven. They had the story basically roughed out of what was going to happen. And so that whole story arc becomes the book Dark Disciple. If Ventress is a character you connect with, Dark Disciple is a must-read. Or listen to if you prefer audiobooks. And I know we had talked about earlier in our podcast about, well, I really don't like having to rely on books to fill in the the gaps of the movies. But in this case, I think this is one of those exceptions where it works really well because we are hungry to find out what happens with the Saw's Ventures. We are hungry to see how her story arc concludes. It also involves a couple other characters who are introduced in the Clone Wars, um, very compelling characters. It's just a very satisfying way to see the end. And it'd be really cool if they could actually turn it into... um, uh, and you know a four arc cartoon episode but i think because the book covers it in such detail it would be a waste of resources to just retell the same story so it's a shame but at the same time at least we got something yeah and when i said that i i don't want the books to um kind of explain major plot points of the movies 
um, definitely did not mean that we can't explore these characters further. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to catching up with some of the uh, best work that is out there right now in book form. Lost Our, Stars, Cough, Cough, Lost Stars. Cough, Cough, Lost Stars. Got it. All right. I'll put that on my on my list. All right. Number one, Travis's favorite character. Most of you have her as your favorite character from the Clone Wars. Ahsoka Tano, Travis, talk about her. I would even say she's one. She, she is my favorite character for Star Wars, period. All of it. 11 movies, several animated projects, books, A book. cartoons, yep. video games. She's your number one. Why is that? Well, let's just let's just kind of cover it from the top. Um, <clears throat> the first time we see her is in the Clone Wars movie, and we're introduced to her as a very young uh, Padawan. Yeah. And so that's I think where a lot of people are like, uh, you know, it's jarring to first see Anakin receive a Padawan learner so early in his Jedi career, and then let alone that she's so young to begin with. So it's like, what? How does what a Padawan do? we... have a Padawan? That's my kind of my question. Exactly. It's quickly implied that the Jedi Council chose to do so to help Anakin grow. Yeah. And so pairing a Padawan with a Jedi is apparently a test for both. So watching Ahsoka find this balance between Anakin's influence and the will of the Jedi Council is what makes the whole show of the Clone Wars intriguing. And her arc takes her on a journey that is easy to identify with and could even be appreciated narratively as a surrogate journey for Luke Skywalker I would say that Luke Skywalker and Ahsoka are tied for number one, but there's so much more content to Ahsoka that I inform Luke's journey through Ahsoka's journey. You know, what challenges and obstacles lay in front of Luke's training, you know, given that we only see the beginning of his formal training through, what, an Empire Strikes Back, right? And then three years later, it jumps to his skills on display during Return of the Jedi when he's saving Han Solo. So Ahsoka's story roughly paints in how Luke faced similar internal conflicts and growth. And so we can sort of extrapolate, well, this is what Ahsoka went through during these points in her Jedi journey. So this is probably what Luke was confronted with during those three years in between um, episode five and six. Right. Ahsoka and Luke are the main characters of Star Wars for me. And they are inexplicably linked through their relationship to Anakin. And I, I think that's why it's there's she is so pivotal to me. That I was more concerned about the fate of Ahsoka Tano while watching The Rise of Skywalker, I think is kind of telling. Um, not just that The Rise of Skywalker didn't fulfill, but that Ahsoka is such a compelling Star Wars character. I wanted to see more of her than the, than the heroes in the sequel trilogy. You know, Leia is a great character, don't get me wrong, and kudos to the filmmakers for keeping her in the final chapter of the yep. Skywalker saga. But the fan in me, like, what if, what if Ahsoka was the one helping Leia train Rey? Because she's still alive at that point, or at least it's assumed she is. You know, Anakin's former apprentice, Ahsoka Tano, returns from her quest to find the Padawan who saved her from Vader's killing stroke, Ezra Bridger, and that's a Rebels reference there, um, and is integral to the training of the sole surviving descendant of Palpatine, the very being who turned her master, Anakin, into Darth Vader. That's the sort of epic storytelling fans expect from Star Wars, reasonable or not. And I, I just... What a missed opportunity to have her finally come in or at least have her used during yeah. the, the sequel trilogy. And yeah, I mean, she's just in spades. She's such an amazing character to, to follow. And it's rough at first because, she, you know, there's a reason why Anakin calls her snips. She's very snippy. She's borderline irritating from time. But then to see her mature and, and start to make these very important decisions and starting to realize that while Anakin's influence has kind of guided me down this particular path and that 
can be dangerous. Yeah, I can totally see why she's one of your favorites and one of the favorites of so many fans out there. And Travis, I do have a bit of Ahsoka Tano news to share with you. Uh-oh. Yes. On Inverse.com, writer Jen Glennon explains how Rosario Dawson wants to see Ahsoka Tano Whoa. come back to life in The Mandalorian. Oh, what? Yeah, baby. Yeah, apparently Emergency Awesomes YouTuber Charlie Schneider said that Ahsoka Tano would be in her mid-40s during the time of The Mandalorian. And Rosario Dawson retweeted that and said, tell him with hashtag Ahsoka lives. Maybe she'll be there in season two of The Mandalorian. What do you think about that, Travis? Just hearing it for the first time. Mm, nervous. <laughs> so nervous. If Ahsoka's in it, I'm watching. <laughs> but I think season two of The Mandalorian is already filming, which means the story scripts are probably finished. I think we would have heard some noise about Ahsoka being included in season two by now. Yeah. But where we left off with Ahsoka at the end of Return of the Jedi, the last time we've seen her so far, her story, her path, doesn't seem like something that would cross over with the Mandalorian series, at least not in a significant way. Yeah. And Ahsoka's not the kind of character you bring in unless it's in a significant way. <laughs> Plus, including Ahsoka would also mean including Sabine Wren, who is a Mandalorian, by the way. I mean, she's from Mandalore. She has the armor, and her family's members are one of the major clans on Mandalore. And Sabine actually held the Darksaber for a brief time, which could be interesting to see those two Mandos cooperate with one another. But, right. I mean, now you're casting for Sabine, and all the same questions that come up for casting Sabine as well. Um, do you cast Tia Sakar, who played Sabine in the Rebel series? My answer is yes. Um, or do you recast the role? I mean, Sabine is often seen without a helmet, so I guess that could bring up a cool way to address why Mando doesn't take his helmet off where she does. But then the Mando series suddenly becomes a sequel to Rebels. I'm, I'm not sure a lot of new fans that are watching the show would appreciate having to go back and watch all of Rebels, the cartoon series, which is well worth it, uh, just to get that backstory for who Ahsoka and Sabine are and the Darksaber, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, so after the season finale of Rebels, Ahsoka and Sabine are on a specific mission, presumably into the Unknown Regions. So I don't, I don't know why they would take a detour into the Mando series. What scares me about bringing Ahsoka into live action is Ashley Eckstein is the voice of Ahsoka, and it would be jarring to hear Ahsoka in a different voice if she wasn't played by Eckstein. And any talk about recasting Ahsoka brings up the bigger question. Why not just simply cast Ashley Eckstein to right. play the live action version of Ahsoka? Right. What if she's interested in but, doing it? Well, what if Lucasfilm and Disney ask, and Ashley decides she's enough for playing Ahsoka in a live action production? And... I don't know, maybe maybe she said as much, which is why recasting her is even a thing to consider. Casting a different actor would be a weird thing for Ahsoka fans to adjust to. Not to say that Rosario Darson would be great for the role. I mean, my shortlist would definitely include her. I, mean, I could see Zoe Saldana doing it, uh, definitely Naomi Scott, or Zendaya. She could easily mm -hmm. play a younger version of Ahsoka if there was a movie made about her life during the times of Rebels before Return of the Jedi. I think she'd be yep. great in that role. She'd be good. That's a tough question if Ashley isn't available. You know, when Heath Ledger passed away, there was this intriguing debate on one of the forums he used to follow about recasting his role as the Joker for the third Nolan Batman film. A lot of people said they wouldn't accept that role be played by a different actor because so much of that interpretation came from Ledger. The flip side of the argument is, of course, you absolutely recast it if it serves a story because the character is compelling and well-written. I mean, 
we're talking about a continuation of the ledger version of the Joker, not something completely new and different like we saw with Suicide Squad. I don't, but, I mean, how would I you do that? That would that, be so hard to do within, and this is going off into Batman, we'll bring it back to Star Wars in just a second, but that would be so hard to do in the next movie a couple years down the road from the Joker that he played because he was so good as the Joker. He actually distracted me from the movie because he was so good as the Joker. Okay. That's how good he was. So perfect. Go ahead. So for those of us fans who are invested in Ahsoka Tano and Ashley Eckstein's portrayal of Ahsoka, it would be very strange to see another actor fulfill those shoes. Yeah. As much as I would love to see more Ahsoka <laughs> and more Ahsoka and more Ahsoka, I know I would be heartbroken to not hear Ashley behind Ahsoka's voice. They've done it before in the Star Wars universe. Uh, they just had to. They recast Han Solo for the Solo, a Star Wars story because Harrison Ford was too old for the role, obviously. But so it says a lot that Ashley was asked to narrate E.K. Johnson's Ahsoka audiobook, to read for Ahsoka's character so that her voice was preserved. Yeah. And again, we hear Ahsoka's voice in The Rise of Skywalker. Mm -hmm. It's Ashley. I mean, the voice of Ahsoka is Ashley Eckstein. Yeah. I mean, again, if Ahsoka's in it, I'm watching it. But it would be a shame if Ashley wasn't somehow a part of that. Absolutely. And this is from an article I'm reading on Inverse.com from Jen Glennon. And she also says that Dave Filoni on Christmas Day tweeted out a cartoon with Gandalf saying yep, to Ahsoka. I saw that. <laughs> people thought I was dead too. Yes. So, I don't know, Travis. Dave Filoni. That was a fast response. Because remember in my review of Rise of Skywalker, I said I was really bummed out to find out that Ahsoka had yeah. passed away because she was uh, allegedly one of the fallen or dead Jedi that speaks to Rey to give her her final push to confront Palpatine with the lightsabers. And Filoni was very quick. He says, you know, just for the fans out there, and he, he had drawn that Gandalf with Ahsoka, and they're talking to each other and says, you know, yeah, people thought I was dead, but look. Look, 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 look how far that went or something. Look like how that, that yeah, turned hilarious. out, yeah. Look how that turned out, yeah, exactly. So that's that's we'll uh, that's <laughs> some good smoke for you Ahsoka fans for uh, a future Ahsoka project, um, if not Mandalorian Season 2. That's a lot of smoke, and sometimes where there's smoke, there's fire. Well, I, I know where her story has left off, but I, I mean, I, we should probably save that for the Rebels uh, review because it's a very important it's a very important way of leaving that character and, and the other characters in that show. So I'll just save that. But basically we know that Ahsoka does survive into the old trilogy, into the events of the old trilogy. During uh, the Star Wars Empire and Return of the Jedi trilogy. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, we got a little off track as we do with Ahsoka Tano and Travis, ah, but that's okay. Healthy conversations. Yes. It's all good. Let, let's, let's bring it on back. Travis, who had the best story arc during the run of The Clone Wars for six seasons? Didn't I just explain? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> okay, so Ahsoka's is the most compelling. I'm sorry. But um, the show follows a company of clone troopers from their training all the way to Order 66. And is that the Bad Batch? It, it's no, it's not. It's It starts with uh, the rookies. Actually, they're called the clone. The first episode they come into if you follow the timeline as far as how the episodes, not their production order, but their actually narrative order, um, this starts with an episode called um, Clone Cadets. And then the second episode in that arc, even though it happens quite a few um, episodes later, actually, no, it happens <laughs> episode before it. It's just a tangled mess. And we'll talk about that later. Um, they, the rookies, 
uh, rookies, and then it goes on to they become ARC troopers, and then they're in um, a lot of different battles. Um, they basically become the five first. You know the the blue the clones with the blue uh-huh. armor, um, the ones that follow Anakin around. They're led by Captain Rex. Captain Rex, another very compelling clone trooper to to follow his story arc and his friendship with Ahsoka. And so that 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 grand story arc because that takes place across all six seasons. Um, it's one of the finished episodes that was part of season, uh, season six that exclusively ran on Netflix, which is now available on Disney Plus. So I need to make that correction. It is available on Disney Plus now to see that season six, not the rough animation, but the stuff that was completed. And it's it's heartbreaking because you see these clones, you start to identify with them. You see how the Jedi regard to them. Yeah. Um, you see how the rest of the world regard them. You saw they were kind of cannon fodder, but the, they fought valiantly. And then this Order sixty six thing happens, and it's it's heartbreaking to see them turn on the Jedi. The, the, the Jedi in such a huge way. You know what else is a surprising, really good arc to, to watch in this whole thing? I mean, Anakin, of course, is a great story arc and, and very important for the whole show. But surprisingly, Darth Maul, from being saved by his brother, Savage Opress, to his conquest of Mandalore, Mandalore being, of course, a big thing with um, the Mandalorian, of course, the Darksaber being involved in that story arc as well. It's interesting to see how Maul... To see Maul's purpose and potential, you know, he was so underserved in the Phantom Menace when he got sliced in half, and then is like, well, what, what was what was he really? Just a monster, just running around the hallways, just hunting down Jedi? Was that all he was about? No, there was so much more complexity to what that character was supposed to do had he not been killed prematurely. Well, and this this TV show fleshes right. That out. The TV show fleshes that out a little bit, but um, isn't this a spoiler alert? Darth Maul spoiler alert. Isn't there a rumor or uh, in fact that the Seven season seven before they actually canceled it was going to focus more on Darth Maul and maybe it will again. Oh yeah, so that's uh, I'll we'll talk about that in my wish list. My preview sounds good. Preview of season seven. All right. Well, best story arc is those clone troopers. Overall, Travis, what was the most important storyline or storylines to come from this series that contributed to the actual movies? Um, especially Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. Mm. Yeah, wow. Um, I mean, Order 66 is is huge in that, in those movies, or especially Revenge of the Sith. So mm -hmm. they talk about that. If you're a big fan of the movies like like I am, what more, besides Ahsoka Tano, I know, Mm -hmm. what more do I need to (laughs) watch The Clone Wars for to get a larger, more well-rounded picture that involves the Attack of the Clone and Revenge of the Sith movies. Like, why do I need mm-hmm. to watch it? Yeah. Why do I need to watch the Clone Wars series? Gotcha. Yeah, well, I think um, I, I kind of mentioned earlier, you know, Anakin as a true hero and as a good friend to Obi-Wan, um, you definitely get to see the camaraderie and the love they have for each other, the brotherly love, um, Master Apprentice, and then... Um, Master Padawan, sorry, <laughs> not to use dark side language. Um, and then, of course, Jedi and Jedi. You know, they, they I wouldn't say they become equals, but um, they, they get to that point where you start to accept, oh, okay, this is why Anakin got a Padawan, because he was no longer really, the, he was no longer the Padawan of Obi-Wan Kenobi. I mean, he may have still used that language, but he had become a Jedi Knight. And by the time we see him in Revenge of the Sith, he is a standalone character, not really dependent on a master. Yeah. Um, for for Illa for for good yeah for those two movies or the the whole prequel you you don't get a true sense of that you kind of get that Anakin's a student and 
Um, he's, he's kind of frustrating to Obi-Wan. You don't get a true uh, sense that he mm-hmm. becomes equal or near, near equal at the end before he turns to the dark side. Yeah, no, this the, the cartoon series definitely, it gives you that. It gives you that sense. And then I would even say that in... I mean, for me, you know, we keep dropping hints about the the ultimate uh, viewer's guide, you know, the the path that I have my family on. Um, My eldest son, of course, he's on this four year, you know, Star Wars path. It it doesn't even go into the Phantom Menace and um, Attack of the Clones. It it starts, well, it starts with A New Hope, don't get me wrong, but as far as the timeline is concerned, it starts with Clone Wars and goes from there. The Clone Wars is the beginning of the Skywalker saga for, for us. Yep. And you know, you also mentioned earlier about how um, you want to see how how vast the galaxy is, how other people regarded what was going on yeah. around them. And Clone Wars covers that culturally vast the galaxy is. It's great because you see these different cultures and you see how they are impacted by the war and how they're impacted by how the Jedi are handling things and it, it, they how they stand up for themselves. Yeah, I'm, and I'm intrigued because I, I was reading um, some recaps and they said that's what happens in season three and four is how other places... Are affected by the the war and um so that'd be kind of interesting to see how they handle that even though it is uh an animated series they cover the point of view of the separatists yeah there's and then also the point of view of people who who try to stay neutral i mean it, it's to, to get that wealth of information that kind of backstory is is great i mean you, you almost realize you weren't hungry for it until it's happening you're like oh my god i'm so glad i'm watching this is this is informing so much about what's going on and what the stakes are you're just making me want to watch the whole thing all t- 121 episodes 44 hours travis <laughs> i don't have time to watch it but no, you're I, making me want to watch it i got you now. saved hold hold on hold put a pin in that i got you saved i got some i got a, i got a I got a tool for you to help yes. you out. <laughs> Sounds good. The other thing that I think is important to understand about, um, and so, oh man, I just want to talk so much about this. I can't stop. Where do I come from? Where do I get to? <laughs> Let me just distill it down to this. It gives us enough background image or background story to care about the fallen Jedi as order 66 is carried out. Every one of those Jedi you see in revenge of the Sith that fall, you get to sort of have these story arcs that include them you get to identify with them a little bit more. You get to see how they play with the other Jedis. And so my son is at that point now. He's gotten to meet the Jedi Council. He knows who these characters are. He can recognize who they are. And so when it comes down to that moment in Return of the Jedi, my version of Return of the Jedi, when Order 66 happens, he's going to know who these characters are when they're being taken down by the clones. And he's going to know who those clones are who are doing it. And he's going to know what the severity of what is happening in that moment and how devastating it is for everybody who is a hero of the Clone Wars. To be to be clear, this is talking about your ultimate Star Wars viewing order, which is coming up in a few, yep. future episode where you don't actually have people watching Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith, but those two movies are kind of flashbacks across the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. So just to be clear, that, that actually happened... Um, in Revenge of the Sith. So, right. All right. And you know what else is really cool about this series? Um, it seems to be, well, so you yeah. asked me, I Let's love this it. series. It seems to be very aware of the shortcomings of the prequels. I, I, maybe that's just me interpreting or reading too much into it, but um, it works so hard to elevate that prequel content. Um, I would even go so far, like I said, that it sets up enough that it replaces Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. Uh, Probably with one hard to dismiss exception, and that is the Darth Maul versus Qui Gon versus Obi Wan setup. Right. Um, because Qui Gon is a character who comes back 
in um, reference quite often in Clone Wars, and the, Liam Neeson even plays his voice again. <laughs> Liam Neeson comes back to play Qui-Gon Jinn in the Clone Wars. Come on, you got to go watch it now, right? I do. Um, if you miss The Phantom Menace, if you cut that out of your, of your viewing, you will kind of have less, well, what is, what's going on there, you know? Whether or not George felt this way about the show, it feels like kind of like a do-over of the prequels, you know? I mean, he got such flack for what they were. It kind of feels like he said, hey, this is kind of what it was supposed to be. And this is in all the good ways. You know, this is an unlimited budget. This is unlimited storytelling. I can dive into specifics about this and I can breeze through that. But it never feels like, I mean, there's filler, but it never feels like the filler is there to distract. It's always, it always serves a bigger story later on. That being said, from those 121 episodes, I have it distilled down to about 84 essential episodes that carry either they're part of the story arc of the Clone Wars, the cartoon series, or they, they give you the seeds of things to come in other media. You know, Rebels, Rogue One, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back. Even a little bit of from um, The Force Awakens is in there. And of course, that little bit of cameo that was happened at the end of, uh, and during the climax battle of um, Rise of Skywalker. Gotcha. So we're going to post that 81 episode list. 84. 84? Yeah, 84. 84 episode yeah, list. 84. On and I reordered it so it's in linear fashion. So it, it actually follow it takes place on the timelines corrected. You know, when the show came out, there was a lot of jumping around. Like the, the silly as it sounds, the the show actually had prequel episodes for other episodes and other seasons. So it did that funkiness, and you were kind of confused, like why am I watching this happen? Isn't that character dead? And it's like, oh, this happened because this led up to the moment that character died. I get it. So I just put it all in in linear order. So we will post that um, coming up shortly on Instagram and on Facebook, and we'll give you those accounts later. Mm -hmm. So you can watch the essential 84 episodes of The Clone Wars, seasons one through six. But, Travis, season seven, February 17th, 2020, Exclusively mm-hmm. on Disney Plus. So excited. What do you oh want God. to know? What do you want them to do? What are you looking forward to? And so on. I don't want it to happen. The possibilities are still endless until it becomes done. <laughs> I just don't want it to happen. It's only twelve episodes too. So anyway, it's got to happen. Let's let's do this, Dave Filoni. Let's make it happen. All right, so. <clears throat> What am I looking forward to in the last season? Well, of course, Ahsoka's story after leaving the Jedi Order. Sorry, spoiler it again. Um, how did she escape from Order 66? I mean, we already know she survives, but now we get to see how that unfolds. Um, and that is tied to, like you'd mentioned earlier, um, the conclusion of the Maul Mandalore story arc. You know, Maul is in control of Mandalore. He has the Darksaber. There will be a, a confrontation between him and Ahsoka. Um, and get this. They actually got Ray Park, the guy who played Darth Maul in the Phantom Menace and the physical Phantom, in Phantom Menace and the and his physical presence in Solo. They actually got him in into mocap so he can actually fight in Darth Maul fighting style and recorded it and animated whoa. it. Whoa, <laughs> Travis is like <laughs> anyway. Whoa, yeah. So seeing the state of Mandalore in um, the new Disney Plus series makes me hungry for more of that story to stitch that history together because kind of I kind of alluded to the in when we did our Mandalorian review there's a lot of inconsistency between how we see the Mandalorians act in 
the Disney Plus the, in the Mandalorian series versus where we last see them in Rebels versus where we last see them in the Clone Wars. You know, this whole notion of you never take your helmet off. Well, that was never the case back in the Clone right. Wars. I mean, they were taking their helmets off right. all the time. So we get to see sort of how that evolves. You know, what did Maul do to their culture and society that that really hardened them and made them the warriors as followers of him and as um, opposition to him. So we see Mandalore in a very different uh, state and I want to see, I can't, they've already promised that this is how this is all going to go down because they'd already written this story about how Ahsoka was involved and that this is when order 66 happens when she's confronting Maul on Mandalore trying to liberate their their society from him you know linking the series up to revenge of the sith is also important it's not that it's necessary to do so but where the show is going to leave off it kind of puts us so close to revenge of the sith that if it doesn't run into the revenge of the sith that way it kind of runs the risk of the show never feeling like it concluded um and i think the expectation of the show is that it tells the entire story of the clone wars from the moment attack of the clones ended to the opening crawl of revenge of the sith yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how Anakin's involved in that, and at what time does he get he and Obi Wan get pulled away to go save the Chancellor? I'm, I'm pretty certain we're going to see that. I will say this though, what I hope doesn't happen is the show taking on a more Disney tone um, in these final hours. You know, the series is known for going to some dark places. I know we kind of talked about how it's it seems kind of childlike at first, but man, it goes to some places that it was. There was some some conversations with my son about some very heavy content. I mean, if you think smoldering bodies in a new hope was a big deal, you know, buckle in people. Cause clone wars has a lot, <laughs> a lot of, of heavy stuff going yeah. on. Um, you know, George wanted it that way. And Filoni was fine with making the clone wars dark like that. And cartoon network didn't mind, of course. And the fans came to expect that those darker tendencies from the show. So with Disney right in the paychecks, the show could easily slip into a more wholesome storyline and lighter tone. Well, so, we'll, we'll see what they do. Know. I'm sure they're, well aware of the history of that and um, kind of that quote-unquote stigma, but um, I'm sure they're well aware of that, and I'm sure they will treat you right, Travis. Don't you worry. I hope so. All right. But man, Clone Wars is... uh, This is why I think the cartoon series is a far better backstory to Episodes 4, 5, and 6 than what we got in Episodes 1, 2, and 3. All right. Well, you heard it here first, guys. The Clone Wars television series and upcoming season seven more important possibly than the actual prequel movies. So <laughs> if you want to know more about uh, Anakin Skywalker, that's definitely uh, definitely something every Star Wars fan should want. And if you want to like Anakin Skywalker, I would put it that if you want if you want Anakin Skywalker to be a character you like before he becomes Darth Vader, this is the this show, is the to, show watch. to watch. And of course, yeah. Travis Ahsoka Tano. <laughs> All right, guys, that will about do it. Closing in on one hour here. Once again, guys, check out our Mandalorian series review with more Baby Yoda jokes and our plot point on the Holdo Maneuver, one of the most epic scenes from The Last Jedi. That came out last night. Yes. As of this taping. Yeah, that that aired last night. Yes. Just brand new, fresh Holdo Maneuver right out of the oven. Coming next time on Before the Z-Wing, Travis, are we going to do a Star Wars fan scale or are we going to do top vehicles of Star Wars? 
Dun dun dun. What top top vehicles? Are you talking about spaceships, speeder bikes? I'm thinking anything that has an engine slash motor and moves. But doesn't hyperdrive through another spaceship? (laughs) Say what? Well, that could be. Hey, that was an important. (laughs) The Radis was important in the uh, the Uh, escaping of the rebels. But um, um, you know what? Just for that, let's do let's do the top space or top craft. Let's do top craft. Let's do something fun, not less heavy. We've done a couple heavy episodes. Let's do something fun. We have so. All right, you heard it here first. We're going top Star Wars vehicles. Travis, how many should we do? Twenty, fifty, or a hundred? Oh my god, jeez. Um, why don't you? Why don't you give me your top ten? I'll give you my top ten. And then we can compare notes and amend our top tens and come up with the five best as a group. Ooh, I was thinking we could do that as a one each and then we could compile it just like you said. Or we could kind of draft them and then we could talk about them in reverse on the podcast. So you like, draft yeah, them? like a sports draft. I know you're not a sports guy, but like a sports draft where you get the number one pick. And you pick, I don't know, maybe the X-Wing or something stupid like that. And then I pick, well, I pick one. And then you pick one and we go back and forth and we pick okay. vehicles and then we'll reveal them in reverse order. Who's going to be our objective point of view? Do we need to get a special person joining us to be the, the referee for this? No, I don't think so. I think we can okay. handle it. Anyway, we'll figure out the format, right. but it is set in stone next before the Z-Wing podcast top vehicles of star wars i'm excited and maybe top vehicle draft maybe top vehicle draft who knows i think i like this draft idea maybe we should do it with the characters later on in a later episode we'll do a draft i like this idea. sounds good we have to worry about whether it's back and forth or whether it's a snake draft and i'll tell you more about that later because you don't know what that means why would you just make it more complicated i know (laughs) Anyway, guys, once again, this has been Before the Z-Wing podcast. We're on Twitter at Before the ZW. That's the letter B, the number four, the ZW on Twitter. Before underscore the underscore Z-Wing on Instagram. And we are Before Z-Wing on Facebook. And why are they all different? Just so we can stay under the radar of the Empire. Anyway, guys. And don't forget, we're posting the episode list. It'll be a PDF. Yes. Coming soon, we will have that, all that content of the 84 essential The Clone Wars shows, episodes that you need to watch in order to get all the action from the Clone Wars series. But for now, for Travis, a.k.a. Sabokin, I am Stefan. This has been B4ZW. Never underestimate a droid. <laughs>